0: Thank you, Simon, for joining us today to talk about social media evidence. Because of the volume of material that um, we're going to be talking about today, for the listeners' convenience, we're going to be dividing it into a two-part series. So you're listening at the moment to part one. So the first three things that Simon talked about, which is the police use of social media, the defence response, and admissibility, will be covered in this part of the podcast. The fourth and the fifth things, which are identification and defence use of social media, will be covered in the second part of the series. So I thought I might start by just saying a little bit about uh, recent comments by the Chief Justice Baffis of the New South Wales Supreme Court. He um, delivered a paper recently in 2016 to the Information Governance and E-Discovery Summit And he jokingly starts that paper by saying until recently he had thought that social media referred to the gossip columns in the Daily Telegraph. Um, Interestingly, his paper is entitled, Tweeters, Posters and Grammars Beware, Discovery and Social Media Evidence. And I confess that until very recently this morning, I had no idea what the word grammars referred to. I thought that referred to things that you learn in primary school about where to put commas and full stops, Um, but I've just been told it refers to people who use Instagram. What I think it highlights, though, is that judicial officers and lawyers need to have a better awareness of social media, which is increasingly changing and uh, getting more prevalent. Because social media evidence is going to be something that the courts and practitioners are going to need to grapple with a lot more um, if we're not already doing so. And I think there's a number of reasons why it's going to become more relevant. Firstly, because um, of the prevalence in social media in society. Everyone has a mobile phone and their daily lives are frequently getting recorded, um, especially amongst young people. There's... A large range of social media platforms nowadays. It's becoming increasingly hard to keep track of them. Um, throughout today's podcast, we're probably not going to talk about all of them, but principally um, we might have a lot of examples concerning Facebook, which is probably one of the most popular one. Um, but of course there's others, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Kik, um, and there's a variety of different things that can be Uh, recorded on those types of media, Um, images, videos, um, words, but also things that you might not necessarily readily think about, such as relationships um, and how that might be used as evidence. Um, In addition, I think a lot of people communicate things on social media that they might not otherwise communicate via other medium because of the idea that they're doing so anonymously, um, so it might lend itself to um, evidence that you might not find um, through other forms of media. Um, Contrary to that, though, is the fact that everything that goes on social media leaves a digital footprint, even for um, applications like Snapchat, which are supposed to delete things um, a few seconds after they're received there's some ambiguity as to whether some data can still be retrieved um, and stored. And I think we're seeing increasingly that um, the digital footprint left by social media is becoming almost like a policeman's wet dream, like a um, a crime scene full of fingerprints or DNA. Um, It's the equivalent of that. So we're finding... Social media is being um, a lot more used in criminal proceedings by both prosecution and defence. The law in the United States is quite well developed, um, but I think the Australian law needs a bit of catching up. There's a fair few civil cases that we've found, but not terribly too many criminal cases. Um, we'll go through some of them, but certainly not all of them um, today. Um, the way that we thought we might do this podcast um, to keep it short and simple and um, to allow practitioners to go away with some handy tips is to do it by way of five things to know about social media. Um, Simon, how about you give us a bit of a rundown on what those five things are and then we'll go through
1: each one of them. Okay, so the first thing that all defence lawyers need to know about social media is when and how do police use social media evidence. It will become apparent when it arrives in your brief of evidence or is referred to in your fact sheet, but to have a background awareness of what they can do um, will also inform your practice when you're making tactical decisions in relation to the way in which the defence goes forward in a particular case. The second topic is, as a defence lawyer, what can I do about social media? And that, of course, has its own subheadings. Firstly, how do you fight the admissibility or reliability of evidence adduced by the prosecution? And secondly, can you... And should you bring forward your own evidence? Thirdly, one of the big topics that comes up over and over again is the admissibility of admissions, which is a question often put in this way. Can they prove that my client wrote those words or posted that information or put up that photograph? The fourth topic is the admissibility of ad hoc social media identification of an alleged offender which is often put in terms of well I looked through my Facebook and did a bit of a search says the victim and I found his photo he's the one who robbed me is that evidence admissible and if it is admissible Um, How, as a defence lawyer, do you go about highlighting the potential unreliability and lack of probative value of that evidence? And, fifthly and finally, the defence using social media. How do you go about getting and bringing forward, by way of questions in cross-examination, or by way of admissible evidence to be put before the court, your own social media evidence. So let's tackle that first
0: topic first. When and how do police use social media evidence? So
1: can you give us some examples of when and how police use it these days? The first and most obvious is when it constitutes direct evidence of the commission of the offence itself. Uh, Simon Healy uh, writing to a person, I'm going to come around to your house and fucking kill you which I'd like to emphasise is not something I've done or would do on social media, the is itself the prima facie commission of the offence of intimidation or using a carriage service to menace or harass under the Commonwealth Criminal Code. Another subheading of where the words themselves either constitute or go towards constituting the offence is where co-conspirators are writing to each other Using social media uh or if it's not direct one to one writing as in facebook messenger um using some form of social media platform to mutually communicate with each other and words said well either directly or in code of you know, we'll go to the uh, uh we'll go to the bunker tomorrow and work on the bomb um are words in furtherance of the conspiracy and therefore form part of the original evidence uh, constituting the offence and, and allowing the prosecution to prove the offence. The second way is as evidence of admissions. Now, people get on the social media and say what could be technically described as stupid shit all of the time but as a lawyer it's very important to separate out is it original evidence constituting the offence, for example, abusive words of intimidation, or is it evidence of an omission, that is to say, is it a reflection on a past event in a way that uh, that tends to suggest that the the person writing the post or putting down the information is implicated in the commission of an offence. uh, because whether it's original evidence of the offence itself or an admission um, has completely different consequences under the Evidence Act as to the way in which you deal with it. The third way in which they use it is as evidence of identification provided through a victim or witness. Some people will take it upon themselves to say, I do not know the person who robbed me, but I believe that they are associated with someone who is known vaguely to me, as the cousin of a friend of mine, and so I'll do my own sleuthing and get on social media, often Facebook or a networking site, because this type of search requires that uh that the site allows networking click to click to click to click to get as many degrees away from yourself as you need to, and find the person and on that scenario, the victim or witness turns up to the police station and says, "I was robbed or I saw someone robbed, and I found who did it here's their photo, and here's the the name of their their Facebook account. There are certainly cases where That identification has been done and it is directed. It's not undirected in that police gently suggest to the person after taking their statement, well, are you on Facebook? And if so, and if you believe that the robber may well be an associate of a cousin of of a known friend of yours, then do you wish to yourself start trawling through the relevant people's social media accounts to see whether you can find the photograph of the person. And uh, subject to some exceptions that we'll um, talk about later, by and large, the courts have not thrown out evidence simply because police have directed their victim or witness to to undertake those searches themselves, provided that they are open-ended. The fact that they're encouraged by police... It um, doesn't compel exclusion. The uh, the fourth and final way which we'll talk about police using social media is it is a treasure trove for investigators of intel and information some of which may not be admissible but a good deal of which will, will help direct their inquiries and um, may well lead to Evidence that is admissible the uh, for example making it clear to them who the the person of interest is and then that uh, that person is then interviewed and makes admissions what's the most obvious way well oh, social media websites such as Facebook have a great deal of relationship evidence contained within them, and many people don't have their privacy settings set to a level that uh, stops a random person such as a police officer finding out who they are friends with, who they're in a relationship with, who they have been photographed with and, uh, possibly even where or at what time they've been, um, they've been photographed with those people. <clears throat> so they're the, uh, the main four things to look out for.
0: It's interesting what you're saying about, um, the aspect of sleoping um, not only by police but also by civilians victims, and witnesses as well. it really is um, an advent of a new generation of private investigators coming about and um, gathering evidence um, and interesting what you're saying about you know the police sometimes even encouraging that to happen um, but we 'll talk more about identification um, later on. Let's move now, though, to that second aspect that we wanted to talk about, which was, as a defence
1: lawyer, what can I do about it? So you're confronted with a brief which has in it, for example, some uh, printouts of uh, highly damaging assertions and words, for example, abusive and intimidatory words, written on a page under the heading Facebook with the formatting of a Facebook page with your client's username next to the abusive and intimidatory words. The, the answer to the question, is that admissible, is generally not a simple answer. The, uh, um, so the first thing you have to do is look very, very closely at what is the admissibility of the purported social media evidence. The whether it is evidence of the commission of the offence itself, whether it is evidence of admissions, whether it's evidence of identification, whether it's evidence of association between one person and another. And we will expand upon two of the most important headings, which are the admissibility of admissions and the admissibility of ad hoc um, social media identification. The... Uh, so, the first thing to do is look closely at how is this said to be admissible. The second thing you do is don 't be shy uh, search up social media yourself LinkedIn uh, allows the user to um to check who 's been searching for their name but uh but you know, by and large, so what there's uh, there's nothing in particular. Uh, unethical about searching a name. Most other uh, social media um, is set up on the basis that uh, that a searcher is anonymous and the um, people's privacy settings are very frequently not set where they should be. Um, if they were looking to protect from the prying eyes of the world what they say, do and who they associate with And so it takes a very short time and uh, often will produce useful intel for your defence, even if it doesn't produce admissible evidence. So search up, in a social media case, the relevant people on social media and see what they have been saying um, and who they have been uh, talking to, because sometimes even those talks may be publicly searchable uh related to the the subject matter of the offense and their asserted role in it. Uh the third thing that you can do about it is prepare your own social media evidence and uh have it in a format ready to use in court. We'll discuss that as the uh fifth and final heading of what we're talking about today and five things that all defense lawyers should know about social media evidence. Let's move to the the pointy end of the stick now though, which is that third
0: point about admissibility that we've been talking uh, about. So you, you get in your brief a piece of social media evidence, whether that be a photo, an admission or, or whatever. What's the framework that you would work start with um, ...in testing whether that's an admissible piece of evidence or not.
1: Okay, so... ...whether it's admissible or not... ...will depend... ...in large part... ...on two things. The form in which it comes... ...and the purpose for which it's being used. Now... ...the form in which it comes... ...imagine your brief of evidence. You may see briefs of evidence... And I certainly have, increasingly rarely, but I have seen them, where you have an index of statements, you have an index of the contents of the brief of evidence, and the last item on that index is Facebook screenshots, and there's just six pages of screenshots plopped at the back of the brief. Well, in a way, that's good for you as a defence lawyer, um, because it suggests that the police or the prosecution have at least at the point of compiling the brief, given no thought at all as to uh, as to how that might be admissible. The two principal ways where police have given a tiny bit of thought to how it might be admissible are that it will either be a victim or witness saying, I read these things, I was sent these things, and here they are, or it will be a police officer in charge saying, I undertook certain investigations either a witness or victim voluntarily showed me things and I took a screenshot or did a download of what they voluntarily showed me or I um, seized an item uh, either from directly from an accused person on arrest or pursuant of execution of a search warrant and I in turn either trawled through the contents of it myself or a what's known as a celebrite Download was done, and here's here 's the result of that and in the hundred or so pages of uh of celebrate download that is just dumped in the brief of evidence is the um, uh, is the social media history which has got the, the the critical evidence in it so in what form does it come? And be very clear about who is bringing this forward, obviously a victim or witness saying I was in this chat I wrote these words Joe Bloggs wrote these words back to me and on top of that I know from the photograph I know from prior interactions I know from the fact that I was in a relationship with Joe Bloggs for two years that the the username Joe Bloggs as it appears on my Facebook really is the accused Joe Bloggs is the strongest evidence. It is... If the witness um, attends court and comes up to proof, not hearsay evidence at all. It is direct evidence provided that the words that are being said in that chat are not relied upon for a hearsay purpose but are evidence, for example, of the commission of an offence itself by Joe Bloggs towards the witness. Whereas If it's a mere police officer saying, well, I've seen a phone, I've done some searches, Uh, I've grabbed a phone, Um, I've extracted some information from it, then it gets more tenuous. And as soon as it gets more tenuous, then we are in the realm of hearsay evidence and we're also in the realm of the prosecution having to identify precisely to the court the purpose for which the evidence is led, what makes it relevant and once you as a defence practitioner have identified as best you can from the brief what is said to make it relevant, then you move to the next step of what roadblocks can be put in the way of the evidence being admissible against your client. Is it helpful? We've talked previously about a kind of a four-staged
0: framework or steps um, to look at evidence um, do you want to speak briefly about those four, four steps and then
1: maybe we'll go and dive into some of those steps um, in more detail? Absolutely. The <laughs> uh, So these are very general steps, but they are things that you can do in every single case where you have social media evidence served upon you or where the, the spectre of social media evidence is raised. Firstly, to... What is the item of evidence relevant? What fact and issue does it make more likely to be right if the evidence is accepted? Secondly, does its relevance rely upon words having been written or spoken on social media by a named person? That is the, well sure, the words Joe Blogs appear on the screen there next to all these Um, horrible statements that doesn't mean that I wrote it that is that point is there where that point is raised is there adequate material to leave it open to a finder of fact to conclude that that person really was the author or speaker the uh, as we'll expand upon later at the stage of admissibility it doesn't need to be proved beyond reasonable doubt that they were the author or speaker but there needs to be adequate material to leave it open to a reasonable finder of fact to conclude that they were, and if there is a bare printout with the name Joe Blogs against it, we'll go to issues regarding how you show a finder of fact that that is not adequate, that is not enough, and the evidence should fail at that hurdle. Uh... Thirdly, if its relevance relies upon hearsay, are there any exceptions to the hearsay rule that make it admissible? Business records and admissions are the big ones when it comes to social media. Um, We're going to spend some time on talking about admissions and we'll touch on business records as well because business records of... Facebook, for example, are quite different to business records issues that arise with uh, most CCTV that police will bring forward. And fourthly and finally, if it is otherwise admissible, the social media evidence, are there any principles of discretionary exclusion that lead to its exclusion? And that is in relation to your admissions evidence, the uh, provisions of the Evidence Act that allow admissions to be thrown out, and uh, in relation to uh, all evidence adduced by the prosecution in a criminal case, it's the danger of unfair prejudice outweighing the probative value test. So, the four stages you've mentioned are
0: relevance, what a lot of the cases call authenticity, whether the, it's Joe Blogg's actual page, hearsay exceptions, and the discretionary exclusions. Let's dive into talking a little bit more about authenticity now, which has some link to relevance as well. So this is about um, proving that the Facebook page is actually Joe Bloggs or that Joe Bloggs actually did write uh, what is purported to be um, what he wrote under under the page. Can you talk a little bit about the Evidence Act provisions, that are relevant to um, authenticity
1: and perhaps also some of the case law? Uh, Yes, certainly. So a case that was Manna from Heaven for defence lawyers was handed down the same year that I started practising criminal law in 1999. NAB and RUSU, R-U-S-U. It's 1999... New South Wales Supreme Court 539. And in it, Justice Bryden has said, to my knowledge, the question of whether documents can be self authenticating hasn't been decided under the Evidence Act. And I say no. I say that there needs to be something more than the fact that the document on its face looks authentic and tells a good story about itself for the court to accept that the document is sufficiently what it purports to be to fall within the business records exception to the hearsay rule. The NAB in Russu was a little criticised but uh, but kind of stood more or less un pummeled or not too badly beaten up for a decade or more. But um, but in 2012, there was very much a head-on challenge. Uh, in Australian Competition and Consumer Commission and Air New Zealand, number one, 2012, FCA, Federal Court of Australia, three double five Justice Perham said, NAB and RUSU is plainly wrong and I will not follow it. The and a large part of the basis on which ACCC and Air New Zealand reached that conclusion was that the, um, the judgment in, in AB and Rusu didn't refer to section 58 and didn't refer to section 183 of the Evidence Act. Both of those provisions, um, in different contexts, allow the Court to consider a document and draw reasonable inferences from the document, including to turn to fifty eight an inference as to its its authenticity or identity um, the trigger point for fifty eight is if a question arises as to the relevance of a document or thing, but the um, the question of well, I didn't write that. I know that the words "Joe Blogs" appear on the on the page next to the threatening words, but I didn't write that. Is ultimately a before it's anything else a relevant objection? In that, if it's not rationally open to a finder of fact to prove that the to accept that the accused Joe Blogs wrote those words then obviously in a case where the allegation against him is the that uh, that he did commit intimidation by writing those words then the evidence fails at the um, at the stage of relevance and and you don't have to go any further under the evidence act so To return to the warring lines of authority, the reason why NAB and RUSU was fantastic for defence lawyers was it was a clear statement that the prosecution can't just stand there and start throwing documents at the the magistrate or judge and ask the magistrate or or judge to draw their own inferences from the the fact that the, the document seemed to tell a compelling tale of itself. Um, in deciding that it was admissible. The ACCC and N New Zealand has certainly been adopted in later cases, including appellate cases, including in textbooks, but equally the um, NAB and RUSU has on occasion been referred to favourably both in appellate cases and in textbooks after 2012 and therefore... um, It can't be said that it is dead, it's just severely wounded, and the takeaway from this podcast for criminal defence practitioners in relation to that establishment of authority is that the prosecution still cannot stand there at the bar table and start throwing documents at the magistrate. The court can and should draw inferences that are reasonably open from the face of the document, but... To return to the example we've used, a mere printout with a certain formatting on it and Facebook on the heading, without anything else, does not even, uh, I would argue, leave it reasonably open for a finder of fact to conclude that the accused Joe Bloggs wrote the word said to amount to intimidation merely because the username Joe Bloggs appears next to the intimidatory words. There has to be something else and I think as we're now in our third decade of use of the Evidence Act, people have become a bit more subtle than the all or nothing that may have um, dominated earlier decisions and there's an appreciation that, yes, you can draw reasonable inferences from the document. Documents that are particularly compelling can tell stories about themselves, but particularly in a criminal prosecution you need something a little bit more uh than just throwing a document up and hoping for the best that uh, that the finder of fact accepts that it tells a good story about itself uh in order to accept that document the uh, um so i'll um uh i'll now turn if you don't mind to um chat about the uh, the family court case of Condon Nixon and Rivers—that's Condon hyphen Nixon and Rivers, two thousand and twelve. Family Court of Australia—that's Fam CA seven—because there's a lot of doom and gloom uh, in this field. That is to say, a lot of the the Facebook identification evidence does go in, and uh, it provides a good example of a uh, a case where doubt. Actually, remains and a uh, a story that appears to be told by the documents may not necessarily be be the true story. The uh, Aaron, I'll let you set the scene of uh, of uh, what Condon Nixon and Rivers were uh, were fighting about in the family court. So that's and you can add to this because um, you're more familiar with this case,
0: Simon. I understand it's a family court dispute. Um, and there's an assertion that there's um a Facebook page uh, where there's allegations of stalking and abuse um, by a, a miss rivers Miss um, rivers however denied that it was um, her page um, and part of the judgment it's not just confined to this aspect of the social media, part of the judgment of, of the court, um, was, was examining whether it, it could be satisfied that it in fact was her page.
1: Yes, and Ms. Rivers was inevitably the ex-husband's new partner, and what, hap- what had happened was this horrendous Facebook page emerged with the mother in the, li- in the family court litigation her name identifying information about her address and phone number and photographs were put up on a Facebook page with all kinds of um, abusive and defamatory uh, things about her and and even because the author of the page knew some details about her information to suggest that she might have been stalked. And at Paris one twenty nine to one forty of the judgment, the the family court judge noted that it was plainly enough the case on behalf of the mother that Ms. Rivers was the uh, was the stalker abuser and one who was setting up these pages and writing these things and the position on behalf of both the father and. Even the independent children 's lawyer in cross examination was that the mother had set up the page as a false flag uh, operation in order to um, wrongly depict that uh, that Ms Rivers was doing these horrendous things to her for the uh, for the tactical benefit it would provide in the family court litigation the an important difference between Condon-Nixon against Rivers and a lot of criminal cases we have is that, the, uh, is that Ms. Rivers got in the witness box and on oath denied that uh, that she had anything to do with um, authoring the abusive Facebook page and the the judge, having considered both parties' evidence, ultimately decided that on the Brigginshaw standard, which... Adheres in the family court when it comes to serious allegations of this sort um, that uh, the court was not able to make any determination of who had put up the abusive Facebook page. But the... uh, So it's different to many criminal cases in that the person accused hopped in the witness box and denied and the judge was entitled to take into account the... um, usual questions of witness credibility and demeanour in assessing Ms. Rivers' denial in um, ultimately accepting that her denial was sufficient to establish that it wasn't her who wrote it. But it does provide a, a little fillip for criminal defence lawyers in that something which is just printed out on the face of a brief which appears very damning may not be so when uh, when one digs a little deeper, even in cases where your
0: client might not get in the witness box um, for criminal murder and make that denial, or even where you may not even get those instructions um, saying that it's not their Facebook page, it's still the case, though, isn't it, that the prosecution have some work to do, nevertheless, to establish authenticity. It's not. It's it still the case that it's not good enough to just have a document that. Say that it self-authenticates itself.
1: Yes, that's right. The uh, uh, while there is a line of cases that says, well, authenticity is not a standard of admission under the Evidence Act. If it's said to be relevant for a hearsay purpose, and it's said that the exception to the hearsay purpose is business records, then uh, if it's um, if it's a, A business record, if it's, if it's, if you like, authentic enough to be shown to be a business record, then that's the uh, the end of that. And uh, getting hung up with questions of authenticity may not actually um, be helpful. May actually be introducing a hurdle that isn't there under the Evidence Act. Capital Securities X V Proprietary Limited against Caleja, C-A-L-L-E-J-A, 2018 New South Wales Court of Appeal 26, is a case from just February this year where that's the, uh, that's the takeaway from it, that the, uh, the trial judge, in, of course, a civil matter, leaned too heavily, the Court of Appeal found, on errors within the business record Errors as to mobile phone numbers, errors as to at least one error as to um, by whom a payment was made in order to exclude the evidence. And the um, the Court of Appeal said, no, all that is required is that it is authentic enough to be shown to be a business record. And once that test is met, then questions of errors within the document are are a matter of for weight, and a matter of for um, which inferences you draw or decline to, to draw from it. But we can, and as criminal defence lawyers, must hold the line. Um, we must say, this document is not self-authenticating. There must be something else to allow a rational finder of fact to conclude that it was the accused Joe Blogs, and not just... Uh, Any random person who apparently is writing on this social media site against an account name called Joe Bloggs who wrote these things, what is the something else? It very much depends upon the facts of the case. It's very easy for the prosecution to provide that something else where there's direct evidence from the victim saying, that's the photo, that's the social media account. I've interacted with Joe Bloggs on Facebook for two years of course it's him. Where things get tougher for the prosecution is where the evidence is sought to be adduced otherwise directly by a person who received a communication or directly by a person who says they have familiarity with the contents and genuineness of the username Joe Blogs on Facebook. Genuineness in the sense of it is actually the account owned and operated by the by the accused Joe Bloggs. The, uh, um, in that case, if the prosecution are looking to get it in, one would expect to see other messages, other posts, a list of friends. Um, photographs are critical because the inference is far more easily drawn that a um, uh, a random stalker or malevolent person who's um, trying to set up Joe Bloggs is unlikely to be posting photos of him and his mates over um over a period of months or years, um the people with whom the username Joe Bloggs over time has interacted on the social media platform as against real world evidence that the um that the prosecution can lead of um interaction between the accused Joe bloggs and people with the same name. Uh that's Uh, That's the sort of thing we're talking about. Because Joe Bloggs' privacy settings aren't um, set where they might be, the police are able to print out uh, 10 pages worth of uh, of chats or postings from the username Joe Bloggs going back some months where he's back and forthing with a um, username Gerardo Rivera and police are able to prove by other evidence um, by real world evidence um, such as an admission um, or such as possibly even direct police evidence of having seen um, the accused with Geraldo Rivera that uh, that they are friends in real life that's the sort of something else that uh, that I'm talking about and the, the um, defence should hold the line that the evidence is not relevant, it is not rationally capable of leading to the conclusion that the username is the accused without that something else. Of course, we've also got to be wary that um, the
0: police have at their disposable uh, a lot of resources, and one thing that they might also do is get an expert, um, a forensic expert, who might be able to say something about authenticity and provenance of a document, the the origins of a document. On that point, can you just briefly talk about... um, one six seven of the Evidence Act request for um, proof of authenticity, and whether, as practitioners, we
1: should seek to use that and the limitations of it. The uh, uh, one six seven is not uh, enormously often used in the the criminal sphere. It is certainly used in the civil sphere, um, but what it is is a provision that allows. A, in um, our know, fact scenario, an accused to say, well, <clears throat> we're aware that this document or representation is part of your case, and um, to particularly focus on the document part of 167 uh, we want to make a reasonable request to you to verify its authenticity one would often expect in the criminal sphere that would be to bring the quote-unquote original forward so our expert can have a look at it or at least so that we can have a look at it in order to satisfy ourselves that it is authentic and for us to make a decision as to whether to challenge its authenticity. Uh, 167 has to be read together with 166, which has a very extensive definition of the uh, the word request, um, which certainly encompasses the uh, bringing forward of, uh, of material so that a defence expert can have a look at it and form their own view about it, so I will say two things about one six, six and one six, seven It probably is underutilized particularly in uh in serious cases um, but equally given the dpp's disclosure obligations and ethical obligations in serious cases the the argument is often made that uh, there is a um, there is a duty under those obligations for the uh, for the DPP to make the material available, so the defense has a reasonable chance to test it the second thing I'll say about 166167 is it does involve uh, tipping the hand of the uh, of the defence to a degree and may well alert the prosecution to the fact well we have a potential problem or a potential issue with the authenticity of this purported um, social media um, data download dump for example from a seized computer um, uh, Taken from the accused house, the uh, and therefore we'll get uh, we'll get more expert evidence and get our expert to look at it more closely, uh, in order to to shore it up. But it's certainly worth looking at uh, in an appropriate case, particularly where you have a defence IT expert who has been retained, or in a simpler local court case where there is something about the physical document, there's something about the quote-unquote original of the physical document which will make it very apparent on its face, whether it's, um, whether it's something uh, that can be relied upon as being prima facie authentic or if it's something whose authenticity can be brought into question. For example, where a, uh, a client... Asserts that um, that their Facebook account was hacked or their password was used and if the full context of the conversation, if the full context of the posting is made available to you, um, it will be easy for you to work out whether those instructions are borne out or not. Yes, because it's frequently the case that social media has
0: vast swabs of comments after comments after comments and sometimes what you get is just an excerpt So it is helpful sometimes to keep that in mind, um, that there might be another side to the story that you might be able to get either from your own clients, Facebook, or if not, uh, upon a request or, as we'll talk about later, possibly a subpoena to Facebook. Um, Can we move on now, though, to talk about hearsay exceptions, uh, particularly business records and admissions?
1: yes absolutely the uh, uh so the first question in relation to um admissions is does it get over the line at all um, as being a thing that was uh, said by my client we're We're going to presume that it's a representation we're going to presume that it's a representation as to a past event, and we're going to presume that it's uh, adverse to. The client's interest in the proceeding—a classic example being, "Yeah, we uh, we got a good one last night. Uh, me and my mates got um, uh, got a new Samsung. Uh, ha ha." The uh, coupled with other evidence in the prosecution case, um, it's going to be relied upon by the um, by the prosecution to contend that the, uh, the the accused wrote that, and the accused was admitting their part in a robbery. By, uh, by writing it. Uh, the threshold is under 88 of the Evidence Act, Section 88, not a, a terribly high one. The courts to find, for the purpose of working out whether evidence of admission is admissible, find that a particular person made the admission if it's reasonably open to find that he or she made the admission. Not not super high, uh, and in some ways very similar to the uh, to the relevance threshold if it's not rationally capable of affecting the likelihood of um, existence of a, a fact and issue, because, for example, not rationally capable of affecting likelihood that um, that Steve Albini has actually written this damning uh, social media post about getting the Samsung last night, then it's not relevant. And similarly, if it's not reasonably open to find that Steve Albini... Um, wrote the Facebook post, it also doesn't get over the section 88 threshold to even consider it as an admission. And so we always turn back to how does the prosecutor bring that evidence forward? It's more likely to be via the hearsay path, via the more indirect path where it's an admission. What I mean by that is, in a DV case, you're more likely to have an alleged victim who says, yes, of course I know this person, of course I know that their social media account is genuine. I was in a relationship with them for three years and I've uh, chatted with them on social media using that account hundreds of times. Whereas an admission like that in social media is more likely to be, the admission to the Samsung robbery is more likely to be is because police arrest someone and grab their mobile phone and start going through it and that uh, that social media entry is found there whether on Steve Albini, the accused mobile phone or on one of his mate's mobile phone said to have been uh, written by a person with that username and seen by the friend whose mobile phone is seized. The inference is stronger where the phone is seized from the named accused Steve Albini in relation to which the the Facebook post was made. But I would still argue that if it's just we have your phone, uh, or at least a phone taken from you, which we assert to be your phone, and that's on there, that may not be enough. However, if they've gone the one step further and done the I ask and established that the the phone is either registered the phone that was seized and has the Facebook post on it was either registered in the name of Steve Albini or was registered for example at um at Steve Albini's address and at a uh using a name that police using reasonable searches can show to be false, then that may be enough. It's a question of is it reasonably open to find that uh, that the person made the admission that the the username genuinely reflected person uh, words written by that person. Uh, we'd all be rich people if we had a dollar for every time a client had said to us, um, well, they hacked, or for more sophisticated clients, they might have hacked my account. Um, uh, lots of people know my username. Uh, people, are, uh, people are logging in as me all the time, etc. Now, if you're not going to go to the extreme of Ms. Rivers in the family court case and give evidence saying I did not write those words and put up those pictures, those assertions by a client to you are not enormously helpful in the sense that all they do is generally put in issue is this evidence admissible? Is it reasonably open on the whole of the prosecution case for a finder of fact to conclude that my client wrote those words as if they um if it is then your client either goes into evidence or you find some way of proving, in advert commas, that there has been some interference with a Facebook account which on its face has their username and a bunch of their photographs in it or you don't, you have to suck it up. Uh, so the that's uh, an overview of the rules of hearsay as they apply to admissions in practical terms in relation to the sort of things, bragging about robberies, posting you know, um, oneself with large amounts of cash in an ostentatious way uh, that, uh, that we will typically see in our briefs of evidence.
0: What about business records? Do you have something more you want to say about that?
1: The, um, I flagged at the beginning that business records... ...in relation to social media and many social media companies... ...can be overstated. Aaron, and at the end you'll go to the topic of... ...how do I subpoena Facebook, for example. But it's got to be recognised at the threshold... ...of working out admissibility... ...that the plain, simple means... ...of showing something to be a business record... ...which, before we dive into it... ...you have to always realise only matters... ...if it's relevant for a hearsay purpose... That is to say, for example, um, it's a reflection on a past event, not evidence that constitutes the offence of intimidation in and of itself, for example. The point is the business records exception to the hearsay rule only matters if the evidence is initially identified as being relevant for a hearsay purpose and it's not an admission because if it is an admission, that exception to the hearsay rule will be used. So you don't have to go in every case to, is it a business record? But we immediately have to identify a big difference between, for example, CCTV evidence, which will very frequently be adduced in criminal prosecution as a business record, and social media evidence. And the big difference is that in CCTV there is expected to be and should be for the evidence to be admissible. A little statement from the city of Sydney or from the operator of the McDonald's uh, CCTV system saying, I'm the keeper of the CCTV, uh, Sergeant Smith came and saw me and requested it and uh, what's produced here on a disc is the actual CCTV from our store, for example, covering the hours of 11pm on 23 November to 2am on 24 November 2017. The social media, you're not going to have that. In all bar maybe 0.01% of cases, you're not going to have that. Facebook, Twitter, even Google, for example, who do have a substantial corporate presence in Australia, um, are going to and do run screaming from the idea that they will authenticate anything as genuinely uh, appearing on their site and forming part of the the uh, uh, the data and the records that they keep in the in the course of running their business they uh, they believe rightly or wrongly that uh, their business would collapse under the uh, under the weight of requests if they were to exceed that so the the direct evidence that it is a business record will Frequently, not be there. The uh, and before we worry about is it important or not important to look at business records, we have to always bear in mind for what purpose is it adduced, and how is it said to be relevant via a non via hearsay or non hearsay route. The uh, uh, it may be that the the business. Records exception to the hearsay rule can be um, utilised uh, if there is enough surrounding material, even from a police officer, to show that this really does come from uh, uh, come from Facebook and from nowhere else. But in the vast vast majority of cases, it will not matter because either. There is direct evidence that, um, that certain words were said by a, on social media by a person said to be the accused, and those words constitute the commission of the offence, or alternatively, at the other end of the spectrum, because the words alleged to be said by the accused on social media are said to be an admission. So um, business records is a way of striking some things out, uh, if it is evidence that is relied upon to make certain assertions, for example, a social media post by uh, a mate of the username Steve Albini in our um, in our robbery example saying, ah, oh, you know, you'd done it, didn't you, mate? Good on you. That is a classic example of something that would be caught because it's not evidence constituting the commission of an offence itself it's not in furtherance of a conspiracy, it's all over. It's not an admission by Steve Albini. And so if it's not shown to be a business record prima facie, and that mate, of course, is never called to give evidence prima facie, that would go out. But those sort of cases will be relatively rare. When concerning yourself with social media evidence, because there will almost never be that statement saying, hi there, we're Facebook, the following 20 pages is the genuine records of our business, um, then you don't need to concern yourself excessively with business records exceptions.
0: Thanks, Simon. Now that concludes part one of the series. Part two of the series, as we said before, will cover the topics of identification evidence and also the defense use of social media. So stay tuned to part two.